It's a joy for my wife, Serena, and I to be here this morning. I do uh, hope that we can maybe teach you a little bit more of the Queen's English, and uh, that's, that's our goal. Uh, we put outside our American dictionary and pick up the English dictionary, shall we? <laughs> it's, uh, it's always fun to come and, uh, and uh, certainly be in, in this country. We've uh, spent many years living in California. Serena and I uh, were both in L.A. I graduated from the Master's Seminary some years ago now. And uh, in fact, whether you believe it or not, my accent, my Kiwi accent, is actually softened, and I've picked up a little bit of an American twang. And, um, and in fact, when we go back to New Zealand now, our friends and family accuse us of having an American accent. Can you believe that? So I don't know, we're somewhere halfway between the Kiwi accent and the American accent, and uh, so we can't please anyone anymore, uh, but uh, hopefully you can understand me a little bit this morning. Uh, I just want to bring greetings from New Zealand, from Riverbend Bible Church. Uh, in fact, Riverbend Bible Church would have worshipped the Lord together yesterday, our time, because New Zealand is one of the first countries to see the new day, and so uh, right now in New Zealand, let me think, it's 11 o'clock here, so that means t- right now in New Zealand it's 6 a.m. on Monday morning. Can you believe that? So it's quite a different time uh, change. And uh, uh, So they had church yesterday, and uh, in fact uh, it was a joy to, to uh, hear about that a little bit and, and know that uh, everything's going well back at home. But they wanted to send their greetings, and, uh, and uh, it's just a wonderful thing to be here. I have known Scott and Patty for some years, I think uh, something like 20 odd years. In fact, uh, it's hard to believe that Scott and I were both young men once upon a time. In fact, I've got a photograph to show you just to prove you to you. Where is that photograph? There we go. So there's uh, Scott and I. Uh, who do you think has changed the most? <laughs> I'm thinking it's Scott. It has to be, right? But uh, yes, I, I used to have hair once upon a day, and uh, the Lord uh, became my hairdresser, and, uh, and so he uh, cuts my hair now, and he's responsible for this, so it's okay, it's the way I'm meant to be, and uh, we, we trust the Lord that, uh, that that's good, you know, that's a good thing. He makes us the way that we're meant to be. But uh, I've known Pastor Scott and, and, and Patty too for, for some years, and it's been a joy to to have a wonderful relationship with them and with the family too and see the kids grow up. And, uh, and now to be here is a special joy. Uh, he's told us a lot about Grace Church of the Valley and they've all been good things. And uh, to visit this morning is just a wonderful privilege. And I want to say thank you for having me and Serena. She's sitting up there at the back and I, I hope that you can get to meet her as well. Well, I have uh, listened to the last two weeks of sermons here at Grace Church of the Valley, and I know that Pastor Scott has been encouraging you along the lines of body life and uh, how to relate to one another in a godly way, in a godly fashion, to, to minister your spiritual gifts to each other uh, and to respond to each other in a way that would be an encouragement at times, a challenge at other times when necessary. Uh, but to interact in a way that would encourage each one in the church to become more and more Christ-like. And I really want to continue that theme this morning. And so I wonder if you'd take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to encourage you this morning really to, to look at one another in the church and to value one another. That's my goal, that's my challenge for this morning, 
I'd like you to be able to look at anyone here at Grace Church of the Valley and say, wow, that person's important. That person has got a, a wonderful role here at Grace Church of the Valley, and I appreciate them. I appreciate what they do. I appreciate their spiritual gift. In fact, maybe just to get the discussion started, I'd like to f- show you a photograph of a church that Serena and I visited some years ago. Here's a photograph. It's hard to see. It's a little blurry. Um, this is a church that we, we drove into the parking lot, and there in the parking lot, there's this big, uh, they used to call it a jumbotron. I don't know what they call it these days, but it's a big TV screen. And on this TV screen, uh, it's again hard to see, but I think that's a gentleman sitting there either playing the piano or he may be someone sitting in the pew. I'm not sure which it is. But what that is is a picture of the service that was going on inside of the church building. But what you could do if you chose is you could drive into the parking lot in your vehicle and uh, pull up to a space and tune your radio to the right station and enjoy the church service from the comfort of your own car. Uh, And there was a lot of people that would come in and do this. I don't know, maybe 50 or 100 cars, something like that. And they would pull up and, um, and, and tune their radio and just enjoy the service without actually going inside the building. In fact, it was an intriguing thing because after the service was done, you could then take your car over to like an ATM window and you could give your offering. So it was like the whole church experience except you weren't inside the church. And um, I was intrigued by this and, and I'm sure that that church would argue that the reason why they do this is because they want to impact uh, more lives with the gospel, and sometimes it's easier for someone to come and sit in the parking lot than to actually come inside the building. I guess that's an argument. But here's the downside. The downside is this. You've got a church that's really divided, don't you? A church that's inside the building and a church that's in the parking lot. And I really think that probably for the most part the people that are sitting in the parking lot are saying to themselves, well, I really love this church, i.e. the service, but I'm not so keen on the church, i.e. the people. And so they seem to be more comfortable just sitting in the parking lot and enjoying the service from there. Then, I have to assume also that you have the people inside the church, the leadership or whatever, who are providing the service, who pay for the big screen and whatever, that they're thinking to themselves, yeah, uh, we are happy for those people to sit in the parking lot too. So you've got one group saying, we don't want to be a part of the church, and another part of the church saying, yeah, we agree. Two groups in the church kind of at odds with each other. They probably don't even know each other. And I I look at that and I'm thinking, boy, that's not really a healthy church. And um, and I imagine some of the people in the parking lot would go out from attending that day and they might even report to a friend or a family member later in the week, yeah, I go to such and such a church. But I'm asking the question, do they really go to that church? I'm not sure that they do. They're certainly not involved. And so I think about that and, and I wonder if uh, you might even join me as we look at the photograph and I explain to you what's going on, you might even join me in somewhat of a criticism of that. But here's the thing. I wonder sometimes if it's 
easy to criticize a scenario like that, but then we might even fail to recognize that even though most of us, and I guess all of you, because you're here, I can see you, sit in a church every Sunday morning, I wonder if it's just as easy to be on the sidelines, to not be involved, to not actually engage in the lives of others in the church, to not have a ministry, to not serve in some way, to not really live out the one another's at all. We point our finger at that scenario and critique, but I wonder if some of us might be not that much better, even though we sit in the church. Does that make sense? And so I want to encourage you this morning to think about the ways that you serve in the church and to uh, consider how you might do that some more, but also to value those others uh, in the church that are serving. So when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what we'll see there, and we'll read that passage in, in just a moment, is a church that is divided. A church much like the church I showed you on the screen there. A church really that had two groups. And uh, there was one group in the church that were elevating themselves, and they were the ones that had uh, a, a certain kind of spiritual gift, and they liked their spiritual gift. There was another group in the church who had other kinds of gifts, and they were kind of demeaning themselves, thinking, well, my gift is not that important. And these two groups in the church were at loggerheads, and there were schisms. And In fact, I want you to see this with your own eyes. So keep your finger there in chapter 12, and just flick back a few pages. Look at chapter 1 with me. Chapter 1 and verse 11 and what you'll find there is Paul is introducing the letter to the Corinthian church. And he says there in chapter 1, verse 11, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. And then Paul asks this very intriguing question in verse 13. He asks, has Christ been divided? It's a good question. And so Paul has found out from Chloe's people that there are quarrels in the church and there, there were some divisions that had sprung up within the body and people were taking sides. And there were a number of reasons for these schisms. Uh, there was no unity, no commonality but it seems like one of the reasons that these church attendees were fighting was over the issue of spiritual gifts. And when you get all the way down to chapter 12, 13, and 14, you see that that's exactly what the issue was in this church. There were certain people elevating themselves because they had the super gifts, the super spiritual gifts, the more public gifts. And then there were other people in the church who were demeaning themselves, kind of sitting on the sidelines thinking to themselves, well, my gift is not that important, so I'm just going to sit over here on the sidelines. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians here to deal with this issue. And so we get to chapter 12. So go back there, chapter 12, and I really want to start there in verse 12 and, uh, and work through this passage. I'm going to read from verse 12 all the way down to verse 27. And this is what Paul says to the church in Corinth. Verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, 
so also was Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, well, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Whereas our seemly members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, and that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now, you would have noticed as we read through that passage that there was a phrase that was repeated over and over again. And Paul does that when he wants to make a point. He repeats a phrase. You'll see it, that Paul makes that statement that the body is one but many members. And he repeats that phrase over and over. But you'll notice that Paul says it two different ways. Look at firstly here in verse 12. You'll see that phrase. In verse 12, he says, the body is one and yet has many members. And then again in verse 12, he said, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one. And then in verse 14, the body is not one member, but many. And then down in verse 20, there are many members, but one body. And in verse 27, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So Paul is making the same statement over and over just to get the point through to the church in Corinth. But notice he says that one phrase two different ways. Sometimes he says there is one body, but what? Many members. Other times he says there are many members, but what? One body. And the reason why he flips these two truths and says it both ways is because he's speaking to two different groups in the church. There is one group in the church who is focused on there being many members, but they need to learn there's only one what? Body. There is another group in the church focused on the fact that there's only one church, but they need to learn there are many members. Now, we know that the church was divided. That's real clear. 
And we know that the reason why the church was divided was over this issue of spiritual gifts. Think about it. There are some in the, ch- in the church who had the flashy gifts, so to speak, the more public gifts, uh, the spiritual gift that meant that they were in front of the church all the time, ministering. And the people that were on display in these public roles in the church, they kind of liked their gifts. They really liked them a lot. And uh, they were pleased to serve in this way, but they were so much in love with their own ministry and their own spiritual gift that they were looking at others at the church and thinking, well, I don't need you. In fact, if you want to be any use around here, you ought to be like me because I've got the good gifts. And then there were others in the church sitting on the sidelines. They were thinking to themselves, well, yeah, okay, you're right, because my gift is not that important, and I really can't contribute that much to the life of the church, so I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and watch you do what you do. So you've got these two groups in the church, and they're at loggerheads. There's a schism. There is no unity. And really, it seems that the people in the church in Corinth weren't serving one another. And so Paul addresses them, and he says to one group, well, the body's not uh, one, there are many members. To another group, there are many members, but one body. Now, I want to encourage you in this way, and, and for no, there's, I have not heard in any way at all that there is disunity here at Grace Church of the Valley. That's not why I want to preach this message, but this is true. If you want to avoid disunity, if you would like to maintain unity and avoid schisms in the future, then what you can do is elevate your understanding and appreciation of each other's spiritual gift because by doing that, you will maintain unity. And so I want to encourage you here this morning to be able to walk away and really to be able to say two things to one another. If you can say two things to one another, uh, I think this church is going to be in a good place as you move forward into the future. The first of those things is here, and it's going to go on the screen. The first thing you ought to be able to say to one another is you need my spiritual gift. You need my spiritual gift. And I'll explain to you that that's not arrogant. That's not a prideful statement. And then the second thing that you ought to be able to say to one another is I need your spiritual gift. So we ought to be able to say you need my spiritual gift and I need your spiritual gift. When a congregation understands these two facts about itself, then that congregation can boast a unified and balanced approach to ministry. So let's deal with the first of these as we move through this text together. The first thing you ought to be able to say to one another is, you need my spiritual gift. Now, I know uh, our first response to that statement as well, boy, I could never say that to anyone. And that's because most of us as humble Christians <laughs> like to demean ourselves. We don't like to speak well of ourselves. We don't like to come across as if we're boasting. What I want to show you this morning is to be able to say this statement isn't necessarily boasting. It is just true. I want to convince you of that. I want to convince you that this is not a prideful statement. It's just reality. You know, um, we'll get to the text here in a second, but you know sometimes uh, you find someone who's done something really well, you know. I don't know. Someone's just played a song, played guitar well, 
And uh, I've done this. I'll go up to them and say, hey, John, uh, you, you, you play the guitar so well. Thank you for ministering us to us in that way. And John, who lives somewhere else, not here, he'll say, well, it was nothing. I'm not that good, really. And uh, boy, you know, and it kind of hangs his head in shame as if it was nothing. And I'm like, no, this is a gift that God has given you, and you need to use that to its fullest potential. This is not something to be ashamed of. In fact, I think sometimes that's just a false humility. And false humility is driven by pride. Now, the problem here in the Corinthian church was that there was a number of people in the church that thought that they had the weaker gifts. Now, these spiritual gifts weren't actually weaker, but the people thought that they were weaker. And, uh, and so they compared themselves with those who had the prominent gifts, and they thought, boy, I, I, can't, I can't keep up with that. I can't do what he does. I can't do what she does. And so they demeaned themselves so much. Guess what they did? They said to themselves, I am not needed in this body. I'm not needed. I might as well sit on the sidelines. In fact, it might as, I might as well sit in the parking lot. I might as well observe the church from a distance because my gift is unimportant. And so look at this in verse 14. This is what Paul says to them. In verse 14, if, he says, For the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Paul says, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And then in verse 16, same illustration of the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, well, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And so Paul is using the analogy of a, of a human body here, and, and he sees the human body as a picture of the church, of the body of Christ. And, and he says, just as there, there are many members in a human body, there are also many members in the church. And, and he describes then the members of this body kind of talking to one another and reasoning between themselves, because some of those members were becoming envious of the other members in the church and then therefore demeaning themselves. So I want to give you three reasons why you ought to be able to say to one another, you need my spiritual gift. And here's the first, and that is because envy destroys a balanced church. Envy destroys a balanced church. If we all understand how God has designed us to minister in the church, and then we're willing to accept our spiritual gifts and get on with ministry, then there will be a tremendous balance in the outflow of the ministry of that church. But if all we do, on the flip side, is go around becoming envious of other people's spiritual gifts, and we never come to accept the gift that God has given to us, then we will never learn to exercise it and we'll sit on the sidelines. Uh, uh, I'm a cyclist. I love to cycle. And uh, in the month of July, there's always a, a great event called the Tour de France. Anyone watch the Tour de France? The few hands go up, okay. Um, that great American cyclist, at least he used to be, right? Lance Armstrong. He won the Tour de France seven times. And uh, it was an, an amazing, amazing accomplishment. 
Most people think that cycling is an individualistic uh, sport. Uh, you just go out there and bike as hard as you can and try to win. That's just not the case at all. In the Tour de France, if you've ever looked at it, you'll notice that the, the uh, peloton, that's the, the, the bulk of the riders, is made up of teams. This year in the Tour de France, there were 22 teams, and each team had nine riders. Now, before those teams even get to France, they have a plan. And what they do is they nominate a team leader. That's their one man who shows the best chance of winning, and they nominate him as the leader, and the other eight riders on that team will support him to win the Tour de France. And so that means that, uh, I don't know, if he gets tired, uh, maybe it's a windy day, they will ride in front of him in a line, and he will follow them, and they will protect him. They call it drafting. They will protect their team leader from that wind so that when it gets to the end of the, that particular stage, he has the energy to go on and win. If, uh, if he runs out of water, then uh, his team members, they call them domestiques. That's French for servant. So one of the domestiques will go back to the team car and get some water bottles and bring the bottle forward to their team leader so that he doesn't have to go back and do the extra work. If uh, he gets a puncture or maybe drops a chain or has some mechanical problem with his bike, one of the domestics will come alongside, give him their bike, sacrifice their own chances to win and so that he can keep going for that win. It's a team event. And if any one of those servants or domestiques decides for himself to go for the win, maybe he gets envious, you know. Maybe he says, you know, I, I'm not going to serve today, my team leader. I'm not going to be a part of this team. I'm going to go for the win myself. If he ever does that, you know what typically happens, and it happens all the time in the Tour de France, you see it. The team dynamic breaks down and no one in the team wins because you need to be a team to win the Tour de France. Well, the same is true in the church. We are a body. We're a team. And we need everyone to be doing their thing. But if any one of us gets envious of someone else's spiritual gift and says, well, boy, if I can't lead like he leads, or if I can't do that public ministry like that person is, then I'm not going to do anything. Well, then the whole team loses out. The whole church loses out. So what happens is envy destroys that balanced church. Envy will do that. And we, we can't allow ourselves to become envious of one another. Rather, we are better off acknowledging the gift that God has given to us and ministering in that way. Then the team, the church, will minister in a balanced way. Look at this in verse 17. And Paul is really explaining that everyone has to do their part. And so in verse 17, Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, we can't all have the same spiritual gift. I mean, we're different. And it's absolutely essential in the body that the members do what they were designed by God to do. If we try to take on the role of someone else in the church then the body will become lopsided. The body will cease to function. In fact, the body, you know, if a hand decided it wanted to be a foot and an eye decided it wanted to be an ear and it, 
they made those decisions individually by themselves, then that body starts to look like a what? I mean, an abnormality, a monster. It'd be like one of those characters on, what's that movie? Monsters, Inc. You know that guy? What's that guy? The big eye? I mean, that, he's a monster. That's not a body. And we don't want the church to look that way. We want the church to be fully functioning, where everyone is doing their thing, because they're not envious of what someone else is doing. They just engage in what God has designed them to do. And so look at this. The second reason, I want to give you another reason here, to, 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 to be able to say that you need my spiritual gift. Here's the second reason, and that is because diversity, you got that? Diversity ensures a balanced church. If we all understand that God has uniquely gifted us to minister uh, in a diverse way, we're, we're able to do things that no one else can do. In fact, I, I don't know you. I know some of you. But for the most part, I, I don't know you. And, uh, but this is true. I, I, I know this about you because the Bible tells me this. Each one of you has been designed by God to do something that no one else in this church can do. Do you believe that? Each one of you can do something that no one else can do. That is because he's given you a spiritual gift and he's given you a personality that mixes with that spiritual gift that makes you unique. You can't be like someone else. God has made you unique to serve in a way that's different from everyone else. We are a diverse people a diverse group, and we need to understand that in order to bring about a God-designed balance in the church. Look at verse 19. Paul says in verse 19, if, if they were all one member, where would the body be? The point is, we can't all be the same member. We're different. We can't all do the same thing. If we tried, there'd be no collection of people, and where would the body be? It would just, there wouldn't be one. You know, I, w- I wish you could meet my father. Uh, he's 73 this year, and uh, he grew up in a, a little church in a small town called Foxton in New Zealand. That's where I grew up too. And um, my church is, uh, that I grew up in was a, was a great church, but it had the tradition of having a, like a revolving pulpit, like everyone who preached was on a roster. And um, there was an expectation for each of the men in the church to take their turn. Uh, there was a denomination that didn't believe in pastors so much, and so all the men had to take their turn. Well, my father, he doesn't have a gift of preaching and teaching. In fact, he didn't even graduate from high school. Now, he's a great man, and he serves in the church. You know what he likes to do? Dishes and uh, vacuuming. And he likes to mow the lawns, and uh, he like he he will quite willingly clean the bathrooms. He likes to do those things that are in the background, but there was this pressure placed on him to perform in a way that God had not designed him to perform, and it was not fear. And uh, and my father was designed by God to do something totally different. Now uh, he's kind of come to realize that, and it's a good thing, you know. And uh, he, he's been released to serve in the way that God has designed him to serve, and he won't give up. In fact, he spends all of his days, now that he's retired, uh, he spends his days just serving people. And if there's a need in the church, he hears about it, and he'll go mow someone's lawns, he'll fix their gutter, he'll do whatever it is to serve people behind the scenes. And I love that. 
And uh, that's the way it ought to be in the church. And it's because of people like him that the church can operate in a balanced way. Don't you agree? Take out the people like him and that church will become a monster. It will become lopsided. We need people like that. And so we need to recognize that unity in the church comes through accepting our what? Our diversity. We are all different. Let me give you a third reason why we ought to be able to say to one another, you need my spiritual gift. And that is because God designs a balanced church. You got that? God designs a balanced church. Look at verse 18. Paul says there in verse 18, but now God, who was that? God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as what? Just as he desired. The point is that God is in charge of who does what in the church of Christ. God desires to place them in the church in a particular way. You and I don't get to choose our spiritual gift. You understand that, right? And there's a whole range of spiritual gifts, and you know, often sometimes it takes uh, some time to figure out what that spiritual gift is. Just as, as, as an aside, you know, you, you can't go to a pastor, really. You can't go to some uh, board and ask them to assign you a spiritual gift. I mean, they're not in charge of that. God designs the church the way he desires. You can't assign it to yourself. And so the question often comes, well, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Well, it's trial and error. <laughs> I mean, you just, you just serve. Just serve, just get plugged in. And, uh, and if it turns out that that's not your spiritual gift, someone will tell you. You know, they'll say, don't, don't do that anymore. You know, they'll be honest, hopefully, you know. But, uh, but if there's some encouragement and someone says, boy, you did a wonderful job there, just encourage you to keep going. And then over time, and I think it takes years. You know, I was encouraged one, one time, uh, a pastor of seven years of age, he said to me, you know what, Nigel, I'm still discovering what my spiritual gift is. And, and he knew it kind of at the fa- foundational level. But over the years, you kind of learn a little bit more about how that's going to work out in the life of the church. And he was still discovering that. I like that. And God has designed us to serve in a way that no one else can serve. And and we need to discover that over time. So we need to understand that it's God who assigns the spiritual gifts. Not you, not a pastor, not a board. This is not a democracy. You understand that, right? It's not like we have a vote. No, no, rather, we need to be in the process of discovering how God has designed us to minister. So, we ought to be able to say to one another, firstly, you need my spiritual gift. Now, again, I want to encourage you. Maybe some people could say that in a, proud, a prideful way. I agree. But, with a true sense of humility and understanding that your gift is not your gift anyway, it was given to you by God, You can say, can't you? You need my spiritual gift. Because in the end, let's talk about me. My spiritual gift is not mine. It just isn't. It was given to me. And and frankly, you need it. (laughs) And that brings no glory to me. It brings no honor to me. In the end, if I'm doing what I'm gifted to do and you're doing what you're gifted to do, the church turns out to be balanced and it turns out to be the way God designed it to be. 
So we need to understand that. If we cannot say, you need my spiritual gift, then the opposite will take place. We'll sit in the parking lot and observe the church from a distance. Agreed? So we better learn to say, you need my spiritual gift, but learn to say it in a humble fashion. Here's my question. Are you involved in the life of this church? Are you involved? Because if all you do is turn up on a Sunday morning and sit and enjoy the church, i.e. the service, but you are not throughout the week enjoying the church, i.e. the people, then you're not involved. And we're glad you're here, but we want you to be involved because you have a spiritual gift. You are important to the life of this body and you need to have an area of service. Let's go to number two. There's a flip side to this because we need to learn to say, you need my spiritual gift, but we also need to be able to say to one another, I need your spiritual gift. I need yours. Because we, do, we can't afford to get to the point where, we're ha- where we are happy to see people in the church not doing anything. I mean, if you observe someone in the church and, and they're not involved and they're not active and they're not doing anything and you don't mind, then something's wrong. You ought to want everyone to be active. Now, in Corinth there were some people in the church who had elevated themselves and they thought of themselves as important. They were doing the, 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 what they thought were the spiritually superior uh, roles in the congregation. And they elevated themselves to that. And they were saying, well, I don't need you over there who are doing the lesser roles. And, and they, were, they had got to the point where they would say, I don't need you. Uh, your spiritual gift is unimportant to this church. And when Paul heard about this, he had to write to the church and deal with this attitude as well. And so look at this here in verse 20. In verse 20, Paul says, But now there are many members but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Boy, I mean, if there was someone in the church saying those kinds of things, that would be a sign of arrogance, wouldn't it? That would be so prideful. And so here we go. The first reason why we ought to be able to say to one another, I need your spiritual gift, here we go, is because independence destroys a unified church. Independence destroys a unified church. Because as soon as people start thinking that their gift is more important than other gifts in the church, then that church will become divided. It just will. Now, let me tell you a story. There were two hands talking to one another one day, and uh, the right hand said to the left hand, well, I'm more important than you. He said, my owner can't write a letter without me. (laughs) And the left hand replied, but who holds the paper on which he writes? And the right hand said, who swings the hammer? And the left hand answered, who holds the nail? And the right hand asked, who guides the plane when the carpenter smooths a board? And the left hand responded, who steadies the board? So the point is that no one of us is better than anyone else. In the end, we are all needed in the body of of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22. In verse 22, Paul says, on the contrary, it's much truer 
that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are what? Necessary. Now, they might seem to you and I as if they are weaker. Paul doesn't admit they are, but they might seem like they're weaker. They are the ones that are more necessary. In fact, when we take a look at the human body, have you ever thought about this? The human form, there are parts of our bodies which are very, uh, on sh- very much on show. Our hands, our faces, uh, and our feet maybe if you're wearing you know, thongs. Uh, or f- what do you call them? Flip-flops? Okay. And uh, in, New- in New Zealand it would be jandals, okay? But there are parts of our body that we, we put on show. And uh, there are other parts of our bodies that are, are more covered up. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the members of the human form, which you can see, don't have as important role as the members of our bodies that you can't see. For instance, you can't see my heart. I mean, think about it. Chop off my hand. I mean, it's going to hurt, and it will slow me down a little bit, true? But I'll continue living. Take out my heart and I'm going to die. I mean, my body is going to die. Uh, And God, in his providence, in his sovereign design, has put my heart and my liver and other parts of my body inside of a rib cage so that they'd be protected, but you can't see them. My brain is inside of a skull. Again, it's protected. You can't see my brain, but take out my brain and what? Well, maybe there'd be no difference at all. But uh, I take out my brain and and I'm I'm done. I'm dead. The point is this, just because you can't see what some of the members of the church are doing doesn't mean that they're a weaker part of the body. In fact, Paul says, no, they are the members that are the most what? Most necessary. And we, can't, we cannot remove them. So we cannot say to them, well, we don't need you. Because in fact, we absolutely do need them. And their role is so important. Look at this. I want to give you a second reason why we ought to be able to say to one another, I need your spiritual gift. Second reason is this. It's because honor ensures a unified church. Honor ensures a unified church. Look at verse 23. In verse 23, Paul says, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable... On these we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Now let me explain what Paul is saying here. And again, he's using that picture of a human body, and he's describing some of the parts of that body as honorable and other parts of that body as less honorable. For instance, when we get up in the morning, uh, there are some members of our human form that we don't mind putting on show. We, we, they're going to go on public display during the day. It's our face, our hands. On the other hand, there are less honorable parts of our bodies which we don't want to put on show. And so we clothe them. Uh, we, we, we put some clothes on so that we can go out into the world and be presentable. True? This is exactly what Paul is referring to here. In fact, in verse 23... He uses that word bestow, which simply means to clothe something. And so what we do every day is we clothe certain parts of our body. And then look at verse 24. 
he says uh, there are some members, our seemly members, they have no need of it. How does this relate to the church? Well, there are those people in the church which are not less honorable, but sometimes we think that they're less honorable. Sometimes we think that they're weaker. They're not actually weaker, but we find ourselves thinking that way. What we need to do is we need to find them and clothe them with honor. Does that make sense? We bestow upon them abundant honor. We, we put them up on, in front of the church and we say, thank you for what you're doing. The, the people that require this, the, the other people who, I don't know, when someone's sick at home, these are the people that make a meal and deliver it to their home. These are the people that pray. These are the people that, you know, do things behind the scenes. Maybe they do set up. Maybe they clean. They're involved in people's lives in ways that no one would typically see on a week-by-week basis. We need to find those people and clothe them with honor. But Paul says in verse 24, the seemly members, they have no need of that. In other words, the people that you see on display week in, week out, they already get enough attention. (laughs) They already get enough thanks. They're fine. They're doing just great. They have no need of that clothing with honor, but find the ones that work behind the scenes and clothe them with honor. They won't like it, by the way. I could just imagine my father, you know, pulling him up in front of the church and, and honoring him because of his role. He would hate it. But that's not the point. We're going to do it anyway because that what, that's what God's word says. They need to be honored in front of the church. Go then to number three, the third reason why. We ought to be able to say to one another, I need your spiritual gift. And that is because God designs a unified church. It's the same point as before, but it's so important that we're going to say it again. It's all about God. Look at verse 24 here. Paul says, God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. And again, Paul is reminding the Corinthians that it's God who has assigned the spiritual gifts in the church. God composes the body. And who are we to question God and say, well, I'm not sure that I like my spiritual gift, God? You know, to be honest, if I could choose a spiritual gift, I'm just being real transparent, it wouldn't be preaching and teaching. You know, naturally, I am kind of shy and, uh, and I would prefer to sit in the corner, to be honest. This really would. But God has given me a spiritual gift. And who am I to say, well, I don't like that. And I'm going to opt out. But this is true for every one of us. God has given you all a spiritual gift so that you can minister in this church. And you need, it's absolutely essential for you to figure out what that is and to be active. It's absolutely essential. Why, why should we do that? Look at verse 25. So that there should be no what? No division in the body. The Greek word here for division is schiz, schisma. We get the word schism. If you at Grace Church of the Valley want to avoid schisms, the way to do that is to honor those people who have spiritual gifts and are active in the church. And we all need to be active. 
That's how we can avoid divisions. Look at this. He, Paul finishes the lesson here in verse 25. And he says there in verse 25, there should be no divisions in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. This is how you can tell when a church is healthy, by the way. You can see the members of the church caring for one another. For instance, verse 26, if one member suffers, what? All the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all of the members rejoice with it. That's a healthy church. When we're so involved in each other's lives that there's a body life and a connectivity and a community happening that that we are there for one another in the bad times and in the good times. We are there. You know, I had a, um, a pretty big surgery about two years ago on my pancreas. I, I had this condition called pancreatitis. I'd suffered with that for uh, 30-odd years, and um, it created all, all kinds of problems and pain. Well, they developed this new procedure where they could take a pancreas and, uh, and basically, it's like a pancreas is the shape of a fish. And they cut that down the center and opened it up. And down the center of the pancreas is a duct. It's called the pancreatic duct. And in my case, it was blocked. And so they, they took that duct, and again, they cut that down the center and opened that. And then they stole some of my intestine and repositioned that inside of my pancreas and basically you know, glued that in there and created a new pancreatic duct. And that was two years ago, and it worked really well. It was an amazing surgery, a long surgery, pretty complicated. It was funny, actually, because um, there was a nurse, one, a trainee nurse, a little Asian girl. She was short. And uh, she came to me before the surgery, and uh, she said, Oh, Mr. Shaler, I'd like to observe the operation, but I need your permission first. And I said, Sure, you can come in. So she came in, and she watched. I didn't see her because I was out to it. But um, uh, after the surgery, a few days later, she, she came in and she said, Mr. Shaler, I don't think she was supposed to say this, by the way. She said, Mr. Shaler, I saw your guts everywhere. I'm like, oh, good, good. So the job's done then. <laughs> but uh, um, she was really funny. But the surgeon also came in, and, uh, and he, he described a situation that was so interesting. He said, you know, Nigel, when we got in there, your pancreas was so sick. And it had been that way for years. What had happened was there was a chance, I guess, of the pancreas uh, bursting. And if that had happened, then that would have been bad. So uh, my stomach, believe it or not, had come along and kind of cocooned itself around the pancreas so that if the pancreas burst, the stomach would protect the rest of my body from some of the juices that would escape and do something bad. And then not only that, but my bowel had come along and cocooned itself to my stomach. And so the members of my body were protecting one another so that if something bad was to take place, then hopefully I would be good, you know. I'd still be alive. It's an amazing thing. But that's how it ought to be in the church. We come along when someone's suffering, when someone's going through a trial, if they're going through a hard time, then we come along and we support one another. We protect one another. We encourage one another so that the body will remain healthy. That's what you do here, right? At Grace Church of the Valley. That's what the body's all about. When a, when a member suffers, you come along and support that member. When a member is going through a rejoicing time, then we're going to rejoice with that member too. 
And uh, that's how the body works out. So there it is. We need to be able to say two things to one another. This is my challenge, by the way. When we finish up here this morning, I wonder, instead of just walking out uh, and escaping (laughs) the body, instead of maybe turning to your uh, friends and family that are sitting with you and talking about football or something, rugby, if it was New Zealand, instead of talking about those kinds of things, I wonder if you could find some people in the church and encourage them by saying two things. Firstly, you need my spiritual gift. I am not willing to sit on the sidelines anymore. I know that I have a spiritual gift. I know that my role is important. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to determine what that role is, but I'm determined to be active in the life of this church. Could you say that? You need my spiritual gift. Could you also say this? Turn to someone and say, I need your spiritual gift. Your gift is important to me. Your gift is important to the life of this church, and you need to keep doing whatever it is that you're doing. You need to be involved. Don't sit on the sidelines. You are vital to the life of this church. Could you say those two things to someone? Because that would be evidence of a unified church. That would be evidence of a balanced church. Look at this. Paul finishes up here in verse 27 with a spiritual truth, which is so key. Verse 27, he says, You are Christ's body and individually members of it. And that's where he started the whole discussion. Go all the way back to verse 13 with me. In verse 13, he said, Therefore, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of what? One spirit. It doesn't matter what our racial background is. It doesn't matter what our social status is. It doesn't matter what our occupations are. In the end, we have all been made to drink of one spirit. In the end, we are all baptized into one body, and we all have a role in that one body. I mean, this is, I think, the great equalizing passage of Scripture. We are all important to the life of the church. And so therefore we need to be involved. But unity comes in recognizing diversity. We are all equally important, but we are all what? Very different. We need to understand that that diversity. So my encouragement is this. Grace Church of the Valley, value one another. Ask the question, how do you see your gifted brothers and sisters in this church? How do you view them? How do you view yourself? Can you find someone this morning, maybe someone that you haven't spoken to for a while, and say, you need me and I need you?